Welcome to Medic Mindset. I'm Ginger Locke. This episode was inspired by a day I spent with Greg Fries. He's the editor-in-chief of EMS1.com, and he's an expert at asking good questions. In addition to being an editor, he's also a writer, a paramedic, and an EMS educator. EMS1.com shares Medic Mindset episodes on their platforms, and I'm thankful for all that Greg has taught me about digital media and EMS. In a recent visit, he challenged me to think about my abilities when it comes to asking good questions and then listening carefully to the answer. Our visit was a few months ago, and since then, I've been working really hard on these skills. And honestly, if you ask the people I talk to on a daily basis, my family, the students, coworkers, I don't know if they've noticed the difference because the skill of listening, like really, really listening, is even a challenge for the most well-intentioned person. But I'm working on it because I think showing genuine curiosity through thoughtful questions and good listening is the single most important tool to bring those relationships. More than they need me to say the right thing, they need me to listen, to make them feel heard. Imagine, if you will, for a moment, a teacher you probably conjure images of them at the front of the class speaking. Imagine a writer, an editor. You probably see them sitting at their computer typing away. In all of these examples, these are examples of Greg. He speaks and writes and is heard by many. But Greg helped me realize that the other half of these jobs is listening. And this episode is about growing our listening muscle. Where would we learn to be good listeners? I checked out the syllabus for a course at our community college called Business and Professional Communication, and I did find that one chapter of the textbook is called Listening. The remaining chapters were about speaking, presenting, blogging, giving feedback. A very small amount of our formal education teaches us how to be good listeners. And that's what, after my day with Greg, I set off to study how to ask good questions and how to be a better listener. So who are we listening to? Honestly, we spend much of our day listening to the chatter in our own minds. But we also listen to our work partners, our students, patients, our patients' families, our own families. And why is it that we're listening to them? I think there are two primary reasons. First, they have information that sometimes they and only they have, and we need it. The second reason is that we seek to connect with others, not just in a logistical manner, not just because we need data from them, but because we're seeking connection on a psychological or emotional level. And it all starts with a good question. It's not the whole equation, as we'll discover later in the episode, but starting with a good question increases your odds of getting the information you seek. On the day I got to visit with Greg, he was nice enough to come visit us at Austin Community College. And he did an activity with the students about the importance of asking good questions. After, we recorded a discussion, and this is what he said about the activity. The activity that I did with your students is one I've done in many variations of. I used to teach a lot of wilderness first responder courses. It was a 72-hour program taught over seven or eight days. Usually we'd get three or four days into the course and people would be getting comfortable with the assessment process, the patient assessment process, but maybe not yet thinking about how important the questions are that they ask. 
So the activity that I did was a variation of I would just come into class and wilderness first responder students are taking people on expeditions. And I would say much like somebody might say on an expedition, I don't feel well today. I'd say that to the class, I don't feel well today. And I would have in mind some problem, maybe uh, respiratory infection, or maybe I'd hurt my ankle the day before. And then I would encourage the students, we'll go around the room. You can ask me one question and I'll answer your question and the next person will go. And use that activity to encourage the students to start thinking about the questions they're asking. If a student would ask me a yes or no question, I would always answer with a yes or no, uh, which is wildly frustrating for a student. They'd say, are you in any pain? And I'd say yes. And they'd start to ask their next question. I'd be like, when the next person goes. And then the next person might try to follow that line of thinking or they'd already decided what question they had in their mind. So I've seen this a lot in the field where you have a partner and one person asks, one paramedic asks a question and the patient might answer it. And then the next paramedic asks a question, but they might not be following the same train of thought. And then, so then the patient's, I shouldn't, the patient's head is going back and forth. And then the other thing that we noticed it with your students is they would blurt out two or three questions. Mm -hmm. And I think the challenge then for the patient is the patient picks which of the questions they'll answer. Mm -hmm. And it's not likely they'll answer all three or four. Uh, I wanted the students to think about the questions they ask. Do they ask yes or no questions? And it's really hard to ask one question at a time Mm -hmm. because you have a whole list in your head of like, okay, does he have pain? Where is the pain? How severe is the pain? Where does it go? But to just ask those questions one at a time is really hard. So principles of asking good questions from Greg, things I picked up. We heard him say to ask one question at a time. Why is it so important to ask one question at a time? Primarily, if you ask a patient multiple questions, when they do answer, it's hard to know which question they're answering. The information can get crossed. The second reason is that if you were to ask me two or three questions at once, I'd likely pick the one that is the easiest to answer or the one that I'm more comfortable answering. I'm going to preferentially answer the easy and straightforward over anything that might make me feel vulnerable or is difficult to answer, especially if I'm sick or injured. So asking multiple questions at once allows our patients to kind of passively avoid some of our questions. And if we've thrown three out at once, we, we may lose track of the ones they're skipping. And ignoring a question, skirting around a question, is a useful thing to notice. It takes deep listening to notice the unsaid. More on that later in the episode. He talks about yes-no questions versus open-ended questions, and he gave me a beautiful example of this with advice on how to conclude a lecture. He said that when I'm ready for questions, instead of saying the usual, do you have any questions, instead, he gave me the advice to say, to ask, what questions do you have? And that open-ended question has been a game changer for me while teaching. I wish I had learned it earlier. I get questions every single time. Saying these magical words prompts the audience to reflect. 
they end up asking themselves, what questions do I have? But if you just ask the simple yes, no, do you have any questions? That's too easy of a loop for them to close and they just quickly think to themselves, nope, no questions and move on. I know a lot of educators listen to this podcast. Try it and tell me if it changes anything. Another add-on to this is that Greg said you have to be brave enough to stand there and count to 10 while they reflect and think on what they're still curious about. Give them a little dead air and see if they fill up the space with questions. And message me after you've done the experiment. Another thing I encountered in my reading about how to ask questions is that the sequencing really matters. What I mean by that is the vulnerable questions, they have to come later in the interaction after trust is created. And the last tip on questions before we switch to listening is consider what it is that you really want to know. This is where we get into tight versus broad questions. When I'm interviewing paramedics for the podcast, I could say, what do you like about being a paramedic? That's not really useful because it's way too broad. I'd imagine they'd be looking at me like, Ginger, where do I start? What do you really want to know? Instead, it would be better to ask a really tight question. When your alarm goes off in the morning and your brain registers that it's a work day, which parts of the day, if any, are you looking forward to? Right? It's more specific. Everyone has experienced the failure of a broad question if you've ever picked a kid up from school. If you simply ask them, how was your day today? Very broad question. Many of you know the answer you're going to get. How was school today? Good. Instead, ask them tighter questions, more specific questions. There's a spectacular book called How to Talk So Your Kids Will Listen and Listen So Your Kids Will Talk. It could really be titled How to Talk So Anyone Will Listen and Listen So Anyone Will Talk. It has really good recommendations about communication. I'd estimate that asking a good question is only a quarter of the formula for getting the information from the person's brain to yours. The remaining 75% is how well we listen. What are the principles of being a good listener? This is an area I really want to dig into. First, a bit of science. On average, humans can speak around 125 words per minute, but we can listen and process 400 words a minute. And this is why some people listen to podcasts at one and a half or two times speed. It's because they really can process the content that fast. And the disparity in these numbers is important because what happens as a result of the difference is that we have more cognitive bandwidth, more thinking room than the speaker. And active brains are tempted to fill in those blanks as we listen. We fill in that empty space with thoughts of our own. I've noticed over the last few months when I've been trying my hardest to be a deep listener, the most distracting thing in the room is the chatter in my own head. You might be doing it during this episode. It's not that I'm boring, at least not insanely boring. It's that my rate of speech leaves space for you to get the content and have thoughts of your own. I'm naturally slow in my speech, but I also edit the episodes to include some space, some breathing room, some room for thinking. And this is deliberate because listeners have told me that not only do they enjoy hearing how the guests answer the questions, they also enjoy reflecting on their own answers to the questions I ask. You listen to me and the guest, but you also have a chance, at least I hope you do, to think about yourself and your own experience and understanding of what it means to be a medic. 
In podcasting, this is really common and not a huge problem because I'm not sitting in front of you gauging whether or not I feel heard. But if we want to make our patients feel heard and hear the subtleties of information from them, if we want to milk as much data, the explicit and implicit information from them, it can get in the way. Essentially, we're multitask listening to the person in front of us with listening to all the things going on in our own head. And what we know about multitasking is that there really is no such thing. Instead, when we think we're multitasking, it's really just rapid task switching. While multitask listening, we're missing out on some of the information, probably not missing the words they're saying. We get the content, but the rest of what they're saying with their body, their face, the words they didn't speak, the subtleties of their word choice, we might miss that. How then do we keep from being distracted by this temptation to listen to our own thoughts? That's a tough one. The suggestion that I got in the reading of a book called Deep Listening, which I'll link to in the show notes at medicmindset.com, the suggestion is to try to listen in color. We see in color. What is listening in color? I can tell you that listening in black and white is about data transfer. It's about listening for content. But listening in color is about gaining that data and also hearing the subtext and connecting with another person. Here's an example of an exchange you might have with a patient. The paramedic says, what's the last thing you've eaten? The patient says, my daughter made me soup a few hours ago. In this tiny exchange, the black and white listener hears that and says, check, the patient had soup two hours ago. But the person listening in color might hear this. He said she made it, but what were the words he didn't say? He didn't say he actually ate it, and the daughter made it. Does she do that every day or just today because she thought she thought he was ill and maybe not eating? Notice how listening in color yields more questions than answers. This is good because the follow-up questions usually reveal the most useful information because... A follow-up question tells the patient you are fully present with them. It's a beautiful cycle where they say something, you inquire about something they've said, and they feel heard. So they share more and more information and the cycle just fuels itself. As new clinicians, when we first start practicing asking patients questions, we're so focused on our own performance and asking the right questions that we often miss the responses. In his best-selling book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey said this about listening. He said that most people do not listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. In thinking about my first patient context back in EMT and paramedic school, I'd amend that to say I was listening with the intent to ask the next right question. I barely heard their responses as I spent the time while they were talking to think up my next genius question. I call that being inwardly focused. As we gain competence and confidence with patient assessment, we can outwardly focus on the patient. When you worry about yourself less, you can attend to them better. In addition to needing the info they give us, there's also another overarching goal when we're listening to our patients. We ask questions of our patients so we can understand their experience. They want people nearby who are not only knowledgeable and can help them find a solution to their problem, 
but they also want us there because they're looking for someone who can help them feel less alone in their experience. Margaret Wheatley, who studies organizational behavior and leadership, said this about listening. One of the easiest human acts is also the most healing. Listening to someone, simply listening, not advising or coaching, but silently and fully listening. Your patients want to be heard, but shame and anxiety or pain and illness, these can all make them less articulate. So we've got to up our listening game. And I get that calls are complex. There's multiple people, multiple conversations going on, loud distractions. It would be nearly impossible to listen to your patient deeply through a whole call. The other parts of our job, like situational awareness, talking to the team, listening to the patient's family, these tasks pull us away from continuous deep listening. But I can think of two opportunities on a typical EMS call when it's essential to make efforts to pay attention to listening and color. The first time is during what some have called the patient's opening monologue. It's called a monologue because they're supposed to be the only person speaking and uninterrupted. This is the early history, the chief complaint when they ideally should not be interrupted because they're telling you what's most concerning to them. There's an often cited study that found on average Clinicians interrupt their patient's opening statement of their chief complaint within 22 seconds. Now, we likely agree that some interruptions can be helpful in guiding a clinical interaction during certain parts of a call. But when possible, we should try to limit interruptions, especially in the first minutes of a patient talking. This is a critical time that will set the tone and trust for the rest of the call. An interruption here is the most blatant way to make a patient feel unheard. I think we do it because we worry that the patient will never stop talking. But there's a study that I've put in the show notes where clinicians were asked to ask for their patient's chief complaint, start a stopwatch, and were coached to not interrupt the patient, no matter what. If left uninterrupted, the majority of patients finish their opening monologue in less than one and a half minutes. I'll link to that study in the show notes. And I can hear some of you, but this is emergency medicine. Do I have 90 seconds? My answer is try it. Sometimes you might feel like you don't, but if they can talk for 90 seconds without break, that generally corresponds with a stable patient. The ones that are super sick, where time is a factor, they don't talk that long. The second opportunity to really listen deeply is in that quiet time when the care plan is going, things have stabilized, and you get some dedicated one-on-one time with your patient. This is a good place, a time to dig into the sensitive questions. Just remember to listen deeply when they give you the gift of answering those questions. So here are the tips for deep listening, for listening in color. Body positioning is important. Feet flat on the floor, trying to avoid crossing your arms or crossing your legs. Even though you may feel comfortable in those positions, Anthropologically, primally, it communicates that you're shut off to listening. So if you really want to communicate to someone that you they have your full attention, that you're listening to them, the suggestion is open posture. Make your eyes level with their eyes with good eye contact. Oscar Tramboli, who wrote a book, Deep Listening, says that eye contact at eye level is the most important trust indicator. Next, listen for the unsaid. 
noticed what questions they skirt around. Treat silence like another word. It has meaning. Listen to their body and face and hands. And Oscar Tremboli recommends eye contact on their eyes and an upside-down triangle down to their mouth. Another thing to do with all that free bandwidth we mentioned earlier, this kind of opportunity for extra thinking, is to listen for patterns or themes in what they say. If we dismiss the rambling because it doesn't answer our questions, we may miss something. At EMS World Expo in Nashville, I had the opportunity to teach a pre-conference course with a phenomenal group of medical educators. The class was called The Teaching Course, and it was designed for EMS educators. Ashley Liebig coached us all on the power of silence and listening, and we went through an activity where we broke into groups of two, and we practiced what she called the pause. She challenged us to wait three additional seconds longer after someone had finished speaking. And the beauty of that silence is, one, it's impossible to interrupt them because you know you're going to pause. But two, people fill up that silence. They keep talking and they tell you more. Now, I assume you're all thinking it. You will occasionally have an over-talkative patient who needs redirection. If you need to interrupt, here's some words that you might say. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I want to make sure I've heard everything you've said so far. Or I have some follow-up questions from what you've said so far. And while we're on the topic of follow-up questions, follow-up questions communicate to the speaker that they've been heard. As a podcaster, I try really, really hard to not interrupt a guest because talking over someone sounds dreadful in a recording. But sometimes they say such interesting stuff that I just want to jump in. I've failed at this, and it is audio recorded and documented for us all to hear. When I'm listening carefully and aware of myself, I'll deliberately wait until they finish and then follow with this phrase. I want to go back to something you said about such and such. And then I'll try to say, can you say more about that? Or my personal favorite, what do you make of that? I don't know why asking what do you make of that works so well, but I can tell you I've got the most interesting responses on the show when I ask that. Maybe it communicates curiosity Maybe you have go-to questions or listening techniques. If so, I'd love to hear them. It's an area I'm actively working on. You can email me or post on the Medic Mindset Facebook group or tell me in person. I promise to listen. I want to thank Greg Fries for the time he spent mentoring me about how to ask good questions and how to really listen. It sent me down the most rewarding road of noticing how I listen, or don't sometimes, and down a road of researching all about how clinicians listen and how humans listen. 